Good afternoon. I'd like to welcome you all to our continuing lecture series in modern European history and empire, in which the definition of empire remains inelastic, although hopefully not in and of itself an imperial one. You'll see the elasticity in today's talk. Today is my great pleasure to introduce, on behalf of the Mershon Center, the History Department, and the Melton Center here at OSU, Professor Maud Mandel. Professor Mandel is Associate Professor of History and Judaic Studies at Brown University. And since Professor Mandel unexpectedly ran into one of her colleagues from Brown last night uh, at a restaurant uh, while we were having dinner, um, a colleague who will be lecturing over in OSU's Department of Spanish and Portuguese later this afternoon, we have decided that the Columbus-Providence axis is a particularly thriving one. Professor Mandel received her PhD from Michigan, the University of Michigan, in 1998, and has been teaching at Brown University since. She is the author of numerous articles and also of a singularly innovative book, in the aftermath of genocide, Armenians and Jews in 20th century France, published by Duke University Press in 2003. This is a comparative study of how two strikingly different populations, the Armenian and Jewish survivor communities, reconstituted themselves after the genocides of both the First and the Second World Wars. France was the only Western nation to take in substantial numbers of survivors, and Professor Mandel examines how each of these communities reacted to genocide and developed a transnational identity despite France's famous tendency to seek to obliterate difference in the face of an ostensibly universal French particularity. The book has universally been praised as a pioneering work on the impact of the nation state on ethnic and religious minorities in 20th century Europe and on the question of identity formation more generally. Professor Mandel's current book project, entitled tentatively Beyond Antisemitism, Muslims and Jews in Contemporary France, builds on some of these same themes but moves them forward in time. She is seeking to understand and contextualize the recent outbreak of violence between these large ethno-religious minorities in France. Much initial analysis has suggested that Israel's birth pitted Arabs against Jews wherever they lived. Without re rejecting this explanation in full, Professor Mandel will argue that it is incomplete since it presupposes the conflict's inevitability and ignores the role of French society and more particularly the role of decolonization in shaping the two minorities in question. For this extremely topical book, Professor Mandel has recently been awarded both a prestigious ASCL, ACLS and American Philosophical Society fellowship. And these, needless to say, are just the last and most recent in a long line of distinguished grants and awards that Professor Mandel has received. The book is under contract with Princeton University Press, and it is from this new project that Professor Mandel's talk today will be drawn. And I remind you, the title today is Each Algerian Must Feel Palestinian, 1967, 
1968, and Muslim-Jewish relations in France. Please join me in extending a warm welcome to Professor Mandel today. Okay, I have to wire myself here. Hold on. Okay. You can hear me? Okay. Uh, many thanks for that very, very lovely uh, introduction and for the wonderful invitation. Uh, it has been, well, just really terrific to uh, get a chance to reconnect with my dear friend from uh, Michigan, Robin Judd, uh, who's been here many years, and uh, to also meet so many new friends uh, and to have a chance to connect and talk to you. Uh, and I've very much enjoyed my time here thus far. Um, I will explain the title of this talk sort of in the middle of the talk, so bear with me as we move forward. Um, it's drawn from one of the sources I'll be citing. I'll point it out when we get there. Um, but I want to uh, begin uh, by just talking somewhat briefly about the origins of this project, where it came from, why I'm interested in it, uh, and then turn to the specific topic that I want to tell you more about today. Uh, since uh, fall 2000, much ink has spilled debating the causes of recent Muslim violence towards French Jews. Uh, for some, the violence coupled with, and this is a quote, the methodological st stigmatization of Israel has been a sign of an intensifying anti-Jewish bias uh, in French society. Others have pointed to the combustible fusion of radical Islam and rabid anti-Zionism. Um, and such work really has stressed the growing threat facing European Jews uh, and French Jews in particular. In contrast, there are those who've questioned both the newness of recent anti-Jewish violence and the relative danger it poses, emphasizing widespread Jewish integration and decreasing political anti-Semitism. They redirect attention to anti-Muslim racism as the greatest threat facing contemporary European and French society. Now, this debate, uh, while raising important questions about the meaning of contemporary anti-Jewish violence, has in some ways subtly directed discussion and inquiry away from the perpetrators themselves. And so very often in, in uh, the re early discussions and even some of the ongoing discussions of where this violence came from, radical imams, French public intellectuals and high-ranking officials emerged very prominently, while local Muslims uh, remained uh, rather absent. And insofar as the latter do appear, their motives were very often and are often assumed uh, rather than interrogated as either reflecting a timeless Arab anti-Jewish hatred or an ever-present European anti-Semitism. Now, recent work um, has begun to challenge this picture, compellingly rooting anti-Jewish sentiment and violence in contemporary political realities, particularly in the disenfranchisement of French Muslim youth. But very rarely has the longer trajectory of Muslim-Jewish relations in France come into consideration. Uh, but this is a problem, because without any historical grounding, claims of newness, which are thrown around all the time, new anti-Semitism, the new Judeophobia. This, there are titles of books, uh, new, the new Judeophobia that uh, splash out on uh, French sidewalks and uh, booksellers. Um, but 
these claims of newness really can't be substantiated without a longer historical investigation. So um, this book, and really the book I'm writing, the paper today and also the book, seeks to fill this gap. Um, and today I want to do so by looking at another moment when Muslim-Jewish animosity caught the world's attention, and particularly that moment was 1967. Um, in that year, Israel's rapid military defeat of its Arab neighbors and its occupation of the Gaza Strip and West Bank seriously exacerbated the Palestinian refugee crisis. It is a truism of modern Jewish history that 1967 transformed Jewish identity throughout the Western world. France was certainly no exception, um, as Jews became politically visible in unprecedented ways, raising enormous sums, participating in large and vocal demonstrations, uh, and even volunteering for uh, service of various kinds in Israel. The significant question uh, for me today, however, is to what degree did this process of Jewish, a French-Jewish identification uh, with the 67 war, in what ways was this mirrored, if at all, by the ever-growing uh, Muslim population in France? And if so, what impact did it have on Muslim-Jewish relations? And what I will argue today is that despite significant mobilization among French Jews, conflict with France's uh, growing Muslim communities was, in fact, largely absent. Indeed, what is most striking about 67 to me is the degree to which North African Muslims, the group I'm going to be largely talking about uh, and who were the majority of the Arabic-speaking population in France uh, in 67, did not rally publicly to the Palestinian cause and the striking lack of conflict between these two uh, French minorities despite the occasional hostile encounter. And yet, if 67 cannot be seen as a turning point in Muslim-Jewish relations in France, the same cannot be said of 1968. Indeed, in following the, following the student uprisings that year, a growing international Palestinian movement began concentrating on France for public support, working with numerous radical groups, such as the Maoists, the Trotskyists, and the Marxist-Leninists who had been galvanized by 1968 and who sought to attract North African workers to left-wing causes, Palestinian nationalists sought to make Israeli occupation central to French public debate. Now, interestingly, many of the French activists who became involved uh, in this uh, pro-Palestinian um, propaganda uh, were Jewish themselves. And while for some, 1960, the 1967 war provided the issue that pushed them away from radicalism entirely, others embraced the Palestinian cause, at times even more so than the Arabic-speaking workers they sought to attract. Indeed, initially at least, the latter kept a notable distance from Palestinian politics. Uh, although, as Elizabeth Schmidt has demonstrated in a recent article in the AHR, national elites at times played a much smaller role in the heterogeneous mass mobilizations for post-colonial nationalism than has previously been assumed, an examination of pro-Palestinian politics among North African Muslims in France suggests that at least in some contexts, national movements were very much guided by an elite set of concerns that were not shared by the broader audience to which they were being directed. Indeed, one of the notable differences between Jews and Muslims in post-67 France was the degree to which the mass appeal of nationalist politics differed so dramatically. 
If French Jews by this point envisioned themselves as part of a larger transnational body in which Israel served as a unifying force, which even among French Jews, as I will point out, was a relatively recent development, Muslim populations in 1967 France either did not view Palestine in a similar matter or were too taken up with the concerns of immigration, settlement, and integration to take part in such political activities. Uh, so that's, in, th- in, in general, what I'll talk about today, and I want to build on it and give you some evidence for why I make these cases. Um, but before addressing these issues further, um, I want to make two other brief introductory comments. The first is it needs to be underscored that Muslim-Jewish relations in France were already complex prior to 1967, thanks to the shared colonial past that had shaped both communities. Uh, indeed, two-thirds of France's Jewish population and an even larger percentage of the Muslim population had migrated from North Africa, where their socio-political status in France's colonial empire had differed significantly. In Algeria, most notably, French authorities, and I'll be talking largely about Algerians today, as you'll see, uh, most notably, uh, French authorities had granted citizenship to the Jewish population in the 1870s. This move had radically challenged Islamic law and custom, which conferred second-class status on Jews, uh, Jewish and Christian minorities. When the country moved back under Algerian control in 1962, Jewish citizens, by then largely Francophone and Europeanized, opted for a massive out-migration to France. Upon arrival, they enjoyed the full benefits of citizenship and were able to integrate rapidly into French society. Muslim immigrants, in contrast, faced a much more hostile reception in a country deeply ambivalent about the arrival of its former colonial subjects. This colonial and post-colonial background, although not the subject of what I'm going to talk about today, nevertheless points to the complexity of analyzing Muslim-Jewish relations in France, and we certainly can turn to this more in the questions uh, if you choose to do so. Uh, But I wanted you to be clear, 67 for me, well, really 68 is a major turning point, but it's not the beginning of a story. Uh, The second just very brief introductory comment is about the troubling use of the term Muslim um, in this project. Um, I've really struggled with terminology. Uh, What I'm really talking about for most of this project, and certainly today, is mostly about Algerian workers um, who had migrated to France. Um, And there's it's very hard to come up with the right term uh, because one of the things I'm arguing in the book overall is that a very heterogeneous population of both Jews um, and Muslims of various different kinds of national origins and religious beliefs end up over time unifying around a larger set of political concerns. Uh, And um, sort of we can simply call that Arab and Jew in some ways, but they're very problematic terminology for all kinds of reasons, which again I'm I'm willing to talk about. So you'll sort of, I beg your forgiveness in some ways. Um, In the bulk of the paper I will be in fact referring to them primarily as Algerians, uh, but I wanted to be clear to you that I'm aware of some of the issues uh, around that. Okay, turning first to France's Jewish population, uh, let me begin by considering the galvanization of the Arab-Israeli war on communal politics. Um, this is a topic that's been studied uh, by others, and um, but I want to give you a, a brief overview here um, uh, so that you can have a, an ability to compare with me um, some of the differences. Although World War II had considerably bolstered Zionist consciousness in France, in 1967, Jewish commitment to Israel burst onto the public square in surprising ways. 
encouraging a population that had been traditionally reticent to display a publicly visible ethnic politics to engage in a newfound political activism. This political engagement emerged from a combination of factors. First uh, was the distinct shift in French government policy away from its pro-Israeli stance. The government's arms embargo on Israel, uh, when coupled with de Gaulle's infamous comment that Jews were, quote, an elite people, sure of itself and domineering, caused an uproar in France's Jewish population. Um, and I really think the impact of these new policies cannot be underestimated when thinking about the significance of 1967 in French Jewish life. Indeed, uh, the Zionization of French Jewry, as one scholar has called it, was less, I think, a newfound expression of pro-Israeli sentiment than a new willingness to pursue an ethnically infused politics that clashed with France's stated international agenda. And here, while it's true that in America, Jews also were very galvanized by 1967, and one could make sort of sweeping conclusions about the impact of 67 on Western Jews, I would argue the French case was particularly charged precisely because in making this decision to support Israel, French Jews had to rally against de Gaulle and against the government. And that was a politically uncomfortable position for a population still sort of rebuilding from the Holocaust and um, very, as I said, reticent to, to make public identity claims. Uh, as one Jewish activist declared in the heady days of June 67, I maintain my trust in France, but this is the moment to remember that the sacred obligation of any citizen in a free country who disagrees with his country's policies is to protest and to act in a way that reflects his, uh, <coughs> his disagreement. Also fusing this new, fueling, sorry, this new ethnic politics was the arrival of thousands of North African Jews from France's colonies. Having fought to preserve their rights as, <coughs> as newly independent Muslim states through off French rule, these incoming Jews arrived more politically militant and vocal than the Jewish communities uh, into which they integrated. Um, as one French Jewish leader described their impact, the North African Jews have removed our inhibitions. They persuade us to shout, to cry, to sing, and to pour out into the streets. They have no inferiority complex, the implication, of course, being that French Jews did. Uh, and France curiously takes note of this extroverted Judaism. Um, and lastly, as Joan Wolfe has demonstrated, French Jews read the 1967 war through the prism of their own nation's past of persecution and genocide. And as calls for the annihilation of Israel emerged from the Middle East, French Jews became consumed with, quote, this is from this book by Joan uh, Wolfe, the threat to the survival of Israel, the Jewish people, and Judaism. Um, indeed, communal discourse was saturated with Holocaust imagery as the Jewish community, and particularly as those who had come of age after World War II, began coming to terms with their nation's history. So the combination of these factors led to a massive outpouring of pro-Israel support um, from this population that had been quite uncomfortable in the past with such public ethno-political expression. May and June were marked by huge demonstration on Israel's behalf, alerting attendees to, quote, the grave situation facing Israel's frontier. Thousands of activists attended these meetings, such as a 5,000-strong rally uh, in May, May 31st of 1967, with another 15,000 standing outside due to lack of space in the arena. 
And during these events, people would sing the Israeli national anthem, listen to presentations on the military situation in Israel, provide financial support for the army, and learn that Israel's battle was, quote, a fight for all Jews. Similar demonstrations took place in all of the major cities of the provinces. As one commentator noted, the Six-Day War has demonstrated a new phenomenon. Almost all French Jews are concerned by Israel's fate. Sensitivity towards Israel has become one of the key components of French Judaism. Uh, this link was far more than symbolic. Um, as the director of one of the major sorry, um, French Jewish uh, fundraising organizations described the moment, I have never felt anything so wrenching. Old women came rushing into the office begging me to please take their last jewels and to send them to Israel. All the Jews in France were desperate. And some of this has to do with chronology because in the days leading up to the war, many Jews assumed that Israel would lose um, and, uh, and there would be something akin to a genocide there. And so this desperation came from that sense. And then, of course, there was the subsequent euphoria. Um, as these comments then suggest, fundraising appeals were particularly powerful. Within a few weeks, more than 50 million francs had been raised from 60,000 donations. This was a 50% increase in the number of individual contributors who had previously given to pro-Israel causes. Um, particularly affected were Jewish youth, unencumbered by professional commitments and able to envision departure. Uh, many of them indeed planned to do that. And in June 1967, a coordinating committee of youth groups called on its constituents to volunteer for work in Israel. As one pamphlet declared, you too should be among the thousands of young Jewish boys and girls who are going to help Israel during its difficult hours. Israel is waiting for you. Prove it can count on your support. Another Jewish youth movement called for settlement on Israeli kibbutzim, saying, if it is true that the consciousness of Jewish youth has been awakened, you must demonstrate it now. After the public demonstrations and the slogans must come action. So you see this link to it's not enough to give money. It's not enough to say you are for Israel. You need to go devote your, your body, in essence, to protecting it. Um, and a sense that the war had particular meaning for Jewish youth was really widespread. An article in the Jewish paper, L'Arche, declared, our youth rediscovers its soul. Um, one well-known journalist of the day, uh, actually still today, but Anne Sinclair, commented of our own experiences, writing, I was 19, and I affirmed my Jewish identity at that moment because Israel's solitude seemed unbearable to me. And you can hear there that sense that it had been abandoned by France and by the world, and that had brought her to this. Similarly, um, a, a much less well-known woman reports of her own investment in Israel's plight as a 17-year-old student, saying, we knew what was going on because we would bring radios to school. It was wrong, but we did it. Uh, listening to news was not enough for her, however. She noted, it was my dream to go to Israel, even though I didn't speak Hebrew. And you can hear also a very French-ism in that quote, um, the point that it was wrong to bring radios to school. The idea that any ethnic politics should play itself out in the public square, i.e. in schools, was even then, if not more so, considered to be uh, completely taboo and bad. <laughs> so uh, that's reflected in her comment. Uh, like Tenenbaum, this recent uh, woman I cited, and Sinclair, numer numerous young, young French Jewish citizens felt an immediate urge to demonstrate their support for Israel physically. Volunteers from all over France registered for service in Israel at the embassy, and migration increased significantly following the war, um, which is not to say it was high, but it went up significantly. So a departure rate of 30 to 40 a month in the early 60s grew to 500 by 1969. Um, and between 65 and 71, 6,852 Jews migrated to Israel, which was a notable increase uh, from the period following World War II. 
Um, now, of these, it should be underscored that many were of North African origin, without deep roots um, in the metropole. And indeed, the vast majority of French Jews entertained no serious thoughts, I think, of departure. Nevertheless, for many, 67 constituted a turning point. As um, one rabbi from Dijon described the transformation, in the past, the community was indifferent to Israel. That changed after the Six-Day War. It was an important moment for all communities in France. Uh, the depth of this transformation is somewhat difficult to gauge. Um, one sociologist of the day argued um, that if in the summer of 67, you, and this is a quote from her, unanimity, unanimity was total and the traditional lines of cleavage between Zionists and anti-Zionists were erased, by the next year, charitable donations and willingness to move to Israel had in fact decreased again rather significantly. Moreover, the strength of the connection to Israel varied significantly among French Jews. But others have disagreed, seeing in 67 the moment that, quote, caused many Jews living in France to find their way back to Judaism. Uh, whatever the extent of the long-term transformation, however, the summer of 1967 was clearly a moment when Jews of different origins, political orientation, and level of religious practice came together to support the one issue on, upon which they could all agree, and when passive support for the Jewish state transformed into a visible, combative public, and that's the key here, public stance on its behalf. Okay, moving now then to French Muslims in 1967. Um, to this um, largely migrant population during the same period, we find some similarities but also some crucial differences. Uh, as among French Jews, a uh, propaganda effort was rapidly emerged in the summer of 67 to unify Muslims behind the Palestinian cause. Uh, one group, for example, circulated in pamphlets um, arguing that Israel was a Western enclave in the underdeveloped world and a soldier of imperialism in the Middle East and calling for uh, Muslims to rally behind Palestine. Such anti-imperialist rhetoric was also employed by uh, an organization called the Amical des Algériens en Europe, which was a self-proclaimed social and cultural organization designed to promote the welfare of Algerian immigrants abroad uh, that became particularly active in efforts to promote the Palestinian cause during the summer of 67. Now, this organization was formed in the aftermath of Algerian independence when the FLN, the Front de Libération Nationale, ended its clandestine struggle and closed its chapters in France. And the Amical, well, I'll refer to it shorthand that way, was established to bring together Algerians of all kinds into a unified compatriot, compatriotic organization in France. Um, and by 67, the organization had a significant collection of youth groups, sporting clubs, publications, religious institutions, and the like. It claimed to represent a very large number of Algerians in France. The French government claimed that it didn't. So there's disagreement on how many people were actually represented by this group, but it claimed to represent the Algerians of France. Um, theoretically independent of the Algerian government, Amical officials insisted that the social welfare of Algerian migrants was their sole priority, and they promised wary French officials that the organization had no political aims. Um, but despite such, despite such guarantees, uh, the Amical manifested an ardent support for Arab nationalist movements and actively promoted the Palestinian cause. Moreover, like Zionist activists who blurred distinction between French Jews and Israeli citizens, the Amical's appeals went well beyond a benevolent call to aid others in need. Rather, they too tried the way Zionists tried to subsume the interests of French Algerian migrants within that of the Arab world. And I want to read you 
a quote. Here's where you're going to hear the title to the paper. This comes out of an Amical pamphlet. Events in the Middle East have bereaved the entire Arab nation. From the Atlantic to the Persian Gulf, Arabs feel their flesh wounded. The distance that separates us from the Orient does not alleviate the feelings of indignation that each one of us suffers in light of these sly maneuvers. Our determination will tolerate no equivocation and no momentary setback will weaken it. Each Algerian must feel Palestinian and provide concrete support to the Arab cause. Um, and this solidarity, the Amical insisted, should lead Algerian migrants in France to organize support networks, raise relief funds, indeed mobilize military recruits, um, etc. And throughout the summer, um, they did various activities, uh, circulating pamphlets, uh, holding meetings, etc., trying to do uh, just that. Um, now, why did the Amical and its publications focus so heavily on promoting the Palestinian cause? The simple answer is that as the voice of the Algerian government in France, even though it didn't admit to be so, it, it indeed was, um, the Amical was reflecting the former's anti-imperialist uh, efforts and agendas and its engagement with the Palestinian issue. Um, Algerian authorities made numerous calls to aid the Palestinians in the early years following Algerian independence. Uh, and so when, in, for example, in the summer of, in the aftermath of the 67 war, Amical Tracks insisted, quote, the enemy is still on Arab land, land it called on a long history of Algerian anti-colonialism. And again, there were numerous articles in its publications that condemn um, Israel and Israel as the arm of Western imperialism. And yet, if the Amical's pro-Palestinian stance was primarily a reflection of the Algerian government's longstanding support for a similar agenda, such rhetoric also played an important role in efforts to unite Algerian nationals in France. In numerous calls for Arab unity and decrying anti-Arab racism, the Amical presented itself as the voice fighting for Algerians in France. Its newspaper was replete with calls not only to fight against imperialism and Zionism, but to foster Arab unity in the face of Western hostility. And the adoption of the Palestinian cause was central to this endeavor. So, for example, as part of the pro-Palestinian efforts, Algerian migrants were instructed to refrain from listening to Western radio programs and reading Western newspapers, uh, all considered arms of Zionist propaganda, and to turn instead to Radio Algiers, and particularly, quote, our own newspaper, Algerian en Europe, uh, as a way to get pure news. As such directives suggest, there was more at stake in the pro-Palestinian rhetoric than only a humanistic anti-imperialist support of colonized Arabs, although that was certainly part of it. In addition, anti-Israel sentiments were being promoted as part of a larger effort to control political allegiances among Algerian migrants in France more generally. As its own materials made explicit, and here is a quote from a pamphlet that they produced, for the Algerian emigre to mobilize at this juncture means above all to join the activities of the Amical, so that this juncture is the palace, the war. So for the Algerian emigre to mobilize at this juncture means, above all, to join the activities of the Amical and to pay subscription fees regularly. That's how you can mobilize, right? Those who have not yet done so are obliged to do so. It is their duty to join our organization under fear of betraying the unity that cements our struggle. And here's, therefore, support for the Palestinian fight and membership in the Amical were linked to remain aloof, um, cast as a form of treason. 
Now, not surprisingly, some of these pleas certainly resonated with the large Algerian community who made up the bulk of France's Muslim population. The police in the Bouche de Rhone, uh, for example, reported that Algerian Muslims had been suffering from, quote, a deplorable state of mind since the beginning of June 1967, describing them as uh, traumatized, uh, again, as a quote, by the failures suffered by their brothers in the Middle East and constantly listening to anti-Western diatribes on Radio Algiers, Police claim that Algerians, quote, see enemies everywhere and are easily provoked. Their nationalism has been exacerbated. Um, and indeed, in certain shanty towns uh, throughout Marseille, Algerian migrants organized, some people find this quite interesting, organized nightly uh, surveillance teams to protect themselves against malevolent attacks they feared would be directed against them by their Jewish neighbors. Um, and so, for example, the accidental destruction of two small dwellings in Kalad was attributed to, to Jews, even though ultimately uh, they turned out to be uh, simply an accident. Um, elsewhere, Algerian militants threatened some local Jewish residents, such as in one case when a Jewish welfare worker opted to leave her post after repeated harassment. Uh, there were other Arab-Jewish confrontations that broke out uh, in the Belleville neighborhood in Paris. Um, by August 1967, there were some Algerian volunteers from the Parisian region who began to sign up for active duty in Palestine. Note the late date. It's sort of an odd fact. But, um, and the prefect of Asson reported similar activities where about 30 Algerians had been recruited. And yet, despite some growing unease among Algerian migrants towards their Jewish neighbors, most evidence suggests that the pro-Palestinian campaign enjoyed only a very limited success. The Ministry of Interior reported in July that fundraising efforts were only able to raise about 120,000 francs, uh, which when compared to the 5 million French Jews raised during the same period seems uh, remarkably small. Now, of course, French police might not have had a full sense of what the Algerian embassy was able to put together. Um, and one must also consider the very vast different financial capabilities between the relatively poor Algerian working population and the far more established French Jewish middle class population. But still, the difference is too vast uh, to dismiss entirely. Most Algerian migrants in France did not find the fundraising appeal for Palestine attractive enough to turn over their hard-earned wages. Furthermore, uh, military recruitment were certainly uh, quite paltry. The 30 volunteers from Esson, for example, never complied after receiving orders for their mobilization. And in fact, if anything, Amical efforts to recruit Algerians to the Palestinian cause seems to have fostered resentment. So some Algerian merchants, for example, complained of feeling pressured by the Amical to support the war effort, despite their own disinclination to do so. And indeed, these 30 people who signed up for military duty and then didn't comply when it was time to actually show up, I think, reflect that sense of pressure. Um, as such evidence suggests, the Amical's decision to use the Palestinian issue as a means of creating political solidarity among Algerian migrants largely backfired. Indeed, the Amical never managed to attract most Algerians to its ranks, precisely because the organization was perceived as too heavy-handed and because most of the new immigrants were, in fact, disinclined to take part in activist politics regardless of the cause. And note how I've, I framed that. This is about activist politics. I'm not talking about what people said around the dinner time table. I, without doing a different kind of research, that would be impossible to know. And even then, I'm not sure one could really get at what people were thinking politically in this period. But I'm talking about very different political engagement in the public sphere. Uh, where am I? I have no idea. 
Okay. <laughs> um, okay, right. Thank you. Sorry. Um, more germane to what I'm talking about here is that for the most part, the Algerian uh, Muslim immigrant population didn't care enough for the issue at hand to risk their status as immigrant workers in France and make political statements uh, that could get them in trouble. Um, as one uh, commentator of the day noted, such efforts have failed to mobilize the Algerian masses in France to aid and support the Palestinian resistance. The Algerians, for the most part, are not concerned with the Palestinian matter. Okay, so um, that's sort of what I want to say about 1967. I'm going to turn now briefly to 68 um, to make a case for why I think things start to change. And broadly speaking, obviously, what I want to sort out of all these details is that something did change, and what changes is spurred on particularly by what happens in France in 68, that it's the French context that is crucial in setting up relations between Muslims and Jews there uh, into the future. Um, and so although I would argue the summer of 67 did not prove to be the galvanizing moment for French Muslims that it was for French Jews, over the next several years, a growing international Palestinian national movement began focusing on France, among other places, as a site of political mobilization. And both internal and external developments promoted this shift. Externally, Arab losses in the 67 conflict pushed Palestinian nationalists to incorporate new strategies in their efforts to obtain recognition and statehood. Uh, because of the devastating loss suffered by Arab armies, Palestinian nationalists and particularly Arafat's growing organization, Fatah, moved the center of gravity of the Palestinian liberation movement into exile uh, with its locus of social political activity, military command, um, decision-making, and institution-building outside of Palestinian, Palestine itself. And one of the aspects of this shift was a concerted effort to win supporters outside of the Middle East, particularly in France, where pro-Arab policies during the 67 war and an ever-growing Muslim population helped foster, it was hoped, a potentially sympathetic audience. Internally, French political culture took a dramatic turn in May 1968, creating a space in which pro-Palestinian activism could develop. During the événement, as they're known, of that month, radical student groups, anarchists, Trotskyists, and Maoists most notably, initiated uprisings throughout the country that reflected a general international student unrest, but that manifested a particularly intense character in France. Large-scale student protests and worker walkouts led to the largest general strike in European history as the country virtually came to a halt. Now, historians disagree over the transformative impact of these events. Um, but where everyone falls on that debate, there is little doubt that they provided a forum in which a range of issues from feminism, sexual freedom, and anti-imperialism won a wider hearing than they had had in a prior period. Moreover, and particularly germane to this paper, the failure of various radical groups to create long-standing alliances with working-class protesters during the uprising, a factor thought to explain its limited long-term effects and the re rapid reimposition of the political status quo in France, left leftists, and particularly extreme leftists, looking for new allies. The ever-growing population of Muslim workers who had been poorly represented in France's traditional working-class political parties seemed to provide just such a group, 
and radical leftists of many political stripes looked for entree into the seemingly closed immigrant social world, and Palestinian nationalism provided one such avenue. Indeed, beginning in the summer of 68, radical intellectuals and students had begun turning to France's immigrant population, by then about three million strong, as a source of potential support for their wider political struggles. For Maoists, Marxists, Leninists, anarchists, and others, appealing to foreign workers provided their movements with a distinguishing features that could distance them from the classical political parties of the left. So denouncing the deplorable conditions facing immigrant workers, they hoped to encourage disadvantaged foreigners to focus on their own position as a way of condemning the wider social structure. Student radicals thus distributed tracts, encouraged rent strikes, promoted work stoppages uh, all throughout immigrant neighborhoods. In addition, through literary courses, they create, I'm sorry, through literacy courses, they created arenas where they interacted directly with immigrant workers. And it's in these efforts to foster political alliances with foreign workers where we can understand the widespread promotion of the Palestinian issue that begins to take place. Now, I'm not trying to make the case that support for Palestinian cause was a cynical effort by French leftists marshaled for entirely utilitarian purposes. And I'd be happy to talk later about the deeply committed French leftists who very, um, with heart, mind, and soul, embraced the Palestinian cause because they believed a true injustice had taken place. So I'm not trying to make a cause that this was cynical in any way. Um, as one of the uh, key organizations involved in this effort uh, made clear in one of their flyers, just this is one of many I could quote you, come give your support to the liberation struggle of the Palestinian people, victims like the Vietnamese of imperialism. And you can see a deep, and I have lots here I'm skimming over, but you can see a deep commitment to um, anti-imperialism that comes out of the left in these documents. Um, and uh, many of them had long histories. Uh, these intellectuals had long histories uh, in various um, radical causes. But committed ideologues notwithstanding, it's also clear that for many radicals, the Middle Eastern conflict provided a useful way to link foreign workers in France with a wider social struggle, particularly after the seeming failure of 68 to bring about the social revolution that so many radicals uh, sought. So, for example, at one January 1969 demonstration, various speakers sought to link Fatah's anti-Zionist struggle with their own struggle against the bourgeoisie and the Gaullist regime. Explaining that de Gaulle was just as much an imperialist as the Israelis and the Americans, they argued that in defending the Arab cause, he was only supporting French capitalists in their struggle against their American and British counterparts in the Middle East. Um, a similar effort to rally Muslim immigrants against the French state was evident in um, one radical journal, the Journal de Soutien à la Lutte du Peuple Palestinien, published in both French and Arabic in the beginning of March 69. Here articles documenting the struggle of the Palestinian liberation movement and attacking Israeli and American imperialism were interspersed with articles describing the difficult working conditioning difficult working conditions facing French immigrants. Not particularly surprising that they were supporting these issues, but in a journal that was titled, uh, that it, and the title, I don't know how many of you speak French, but the title of that journal is the Journal of Support for the Struggle of Palestinian People. But about half of it was devoted to French con um, conditions for immigrant workers in France. 
uh, right. So, um, Résistance Populaire, while also devoting the majority of its articles, as another journal, to the Palestinian issue, took issue with the treatment of Arab workers in France and called for solidarity between French workers and Arab immigrants. Um, similarly, uh, the MRAA, which was another organization devoted to this, made the fight against racism in France central to its endeavors, declaring anti-Arab racism in France to have surpassed anti-Semitism in its violence and scope. Such links between anti-Arab struggles in France and the wider pro-Palestinian effort were often very explicit, such as at an anti-racist rally in the summer of 1971 to protest bigotry among police, employers, and immigration authorities, but which ended with a slideshow on the Palestinian struggle. It was in the impoverished immigrant neighborhoods, however, where these efforts to link Palestinian politics with a broader French radical agenda uh, were most actively pursued. In the working-class banlieue of Paris, where conditions were uh, extremely oppressive and degrading, students, intellectuals, and professional agitators promoted campaigns of all sorts in the hopes of linking groups of foreigners together. Um, in addition, Basque separatists, Spanish anarchists, Black Panthers, American pacifist movements, and student nationalist groups sought to attract adherents to the various causes. Particularly active in this regard were Maoist militants seeking to make inroads in the North African migrant population. By signing up for Arabic courses offered in the northwestern regions of Paris, um, by the Amical, in fact, uh, Maoists sought to facilitate contacts with immigrant workers. In addition, they offered literacy courses in areas of foreign settlement, encouraging demonstrations against rent increases and the formation of communal organizations. Um, one group in particular was the uh, La Gauche Proletarienne, which was a pro-Chinese revolutionary movement, which created a defense and solidarity community uh, committee called the Comité Palestine Ouvrière Nanterre, so the Palestinian Committee uh, Workers Committee of Nanterre, which was in a heavily populated Muslim neighborhood. Uh, and the goal of this group, which sought which brought together the most politically active members of the local Muslim population was to link the Palestinian cause to the wider struggle for immigrant rights in France. Its pamphlets thus both celebrated, quote, the glorious revolutionary combat of the Palestine Revolution for giving hope and dignity to Arabs worldwide and denounced racist crimes against Arab workers in France. Indeed, despite its name, again, I remind you of its name, the, uh, the committee of, uh, what I have, the Comité Palestine so putting Palestine at its center, the organization's initial activities were directed almost entirely at ameliorating the living conditions of local Muslim inhabitants and building solidarity between them and those living in other um, bidonville and other shanty towns, judged victim of capitalist exploitation and police brutality. So by linking these issues, the committee was soon, comité was soon viewed as the only logical defender of immigrant interests in the area. According to one report from, uh, this was a French police report, I'm quoting from it, as the committee mixes the very real complaints of the people in the neighborhood with those concerning the Palestinian issue, they make it necessary to accept or reject both issues in one block. Now, as such comments suggest, the transforming aims of Palestinian nationalists and post-1968 leftist politics in France allowed for a growing sensitivity to Palestinian concerns in the wider French public. Interestingly, however, while these factors went a long way in complicating French public discourse on the Arab-Israeli conflict, 
And while certain Jewish radicals were pushed into ever more uncomfortable positions as they tried to reconcile their longstanding anti-imperialism with their unwavering support for Israel, and we can talk about that if you want in the questions, um, most working-class Muslims remained rather peripheral to these developments by the early 1970s. Um, and by... Uh, in, and by the early 70s, Jewish-Muslim relations in France remained virtually unchanged on the ground. And again, I, can, I, I have lots of quotes of people observing communal relations, which show that for the most part, most of this had not yet burst into tense uh, relationships. There was one notable counterexample. Um, but mostly t what we see happening on the ground is tensions to beginning to break out in certain areas. Most notably, and not surprisingly given what I've been talking about, university campuses between Muslims and Jewish students, and in one very famous riot in the Belleville region of Paris in the summer of 68, uh, but that in a community where people, um, long jo Jewish and Muslim residents, were longstanding neighbors and lived actually quite comfortably next to each other both before and after. Um, these realities suggest that the militant strategies of political organization were beginning to take their toll and would spread over the next few years in the fertile environment of the working class Bidonville, but it hadn't happened uh, even fully yet by 1970. Okay, very quick conclusion. What does this discussion then of Algerian immigrant support or lack thereof uh, for the Palestinian cause in 67 have to do with what I began with, that is outbreaks of anti-Jewish violence in contemporary France? Um, and what I hope, at the very least, I've done in this brief overview um, complicates the oversimplistic and essentialized portrayals of Muslim attitudes towards Jewish matters in contemporary France. Um, as the evidence presented here suggests, pro-Palestinian sentiment among French Muslims has not been a timeless phenomenon stretching naturally and seamlessly from the birth of the State of Israel and the foundation of Arab nationalism to the outbreak of the Second Antifada in 2000. Indeed, whatever realities today have caused some, and I would underscore some, Muslim youth to rally behind the Palestinian cause, such affinities were not always in place, but were in fact fostered and nurtured by those with political interests in doing so. Muslim anti-Semitism then, if such a thing exists in contemporary France and other one would want to study rather than assume, must be understood as a product of a particular constellation of factors present in early 21st century France and cannot be explained away as the inevitable workings out of a timeless anti-Jewish animosity in the Muslim world. Thank you very much. I'd be happy to take questions if anyone has any. Poorly. Um, 67 is a um, much more, much more in France than in the United States, for example, is a very difficult time for French Jewish radicals. Um, and many of them abandon radicalism because they feel that the French left, the very groups I'm talking about, um, become so hostile to Israel that there's no place for them anymore. Um, and many of them abandon the, the left entirely. And, famously write about it and sort of publicly go through their agony um, in making this split. Um, however, um, 
it is also true that these communities of some if of um, Maoists and anarchists and some of the groups I'm talking about have rather well-known Jewish members in them uh, who just simply don't declare allegiance to any kind of Jewish community or world. Uh, nevertheless, they come out of a certain history of Jewish radicalism, and it's that history of Jewish radicalism that brings them there, even if they don't identify as Jews doing it. It's very complicated in some ways. I think a lot of um, Yuri Slezkin's book on the Jewish century, where he thinks of of communists in the Soviet Union who are Jews as Jewish communists, but of course they've repudiated their Jewishness. And in some ways it's a similar kind of profile, people who have abandoned, rejected even their Jewish past, but many of them are Jews. Those individuals remain committed leftists and to this day are there, but they don't self-identify as Jews. And that's a big moment of rupture in the Jewish community there. Yes, Bukina. Yeah. This story, this part of the story is a story about male actors. And what I mean by that is um, not actually not entirely. On the Jewish side, it's wider. In other words, Jewish participation and pro-Israel support, as far as I can tell, is, is not gender specific. Um, the women who are giving their jewels, the people who are going rallies, the people who are signing up for support to go. As far as I can tell, it's I have evidence from across the board. It's mostly young. There's, if there's a split, it's the difference between um, older, more established people and youth, and there's a split between perhaps what some might call Ashkenazim and other call North African Jewish migrants or Sephardim, depending on who you are. Um, but the, it's not a gendered split. Uh, in the Muslim world, it's a bit different, mostly because the Muslims I'm talking about are often without their families. These are immigrants who have come to work or are not yet in the period of family reunification. That's not to say there are no women, but we're talking about largely a male population here um, and also very young uh, for the most part. Um, and that changes in 1973, but up until uh, this paper ends, this part of it ends in 73. So in that sense, it is uh, very gendered um, and also... Um, the politics is is addressing male worker concerns in many ways in these, um, although it's not coded that way particularly, but it's just inevitably so because that's who the bodies are that fill the worker communities. Um, the book that I'm working on is going to have a chapter on communal relations um, in uh, Marseille, and there I'm hoping that it'll be more a wider swath of the population, um, and it goes past 73, so I'll have a different, uh, maybe a different set of evidence, and I've collected some of that already. Um, but I was going to say one other thing about this. Um, oh, the, I didn't talk about this, but the Belleville, I mentioned this, to, I think, to the graduate students today, the Belleville riot that I mentioned at the end in 1968 that breaks out. It's um, some Jewish property is desecrated, a synagogue, um, and some stores, uh, and there's um, very, it's really the first very big um, public confrontation between Muslims and Jews. Uh, and that's uh, always, when you read about this history, it's been coded as evidence of this ongoing tension. Um, but what is often left out of that story is that the original um, fight broke out at a card game. And the card game was 
around the table was a mixture of Muslims and Jews. They're living together, playing cards, and something broke out, and then it divided along ethnic lines. That's not to say that ethnic tension wasn't there, but that the picture is a little more complicated. I mention that because the public story I'm telling here, that was a, that's a very male space. The card game, the riot, all of that is very male space. Um, and again, most of the Muslims then are men in that period. And, the, uh, uh, and there are women, there are Jewish women that live in that neighborhood, but they're not involved, as far as I know, in the rioting. Yeah. Okay. It depends which incident you mean. Over time, the the um, particularly the Jewish community has been very critical in contemporary times, and particularly right after two thousand, of the, what they believe was the lack of protection. And so, in recent years, the government the government's doing a lot more, actually, or trying to to address tensions on the ground. How successfully, I don't know. Uh, in the period we're talking about here, um, in this uh, paper. Um, the French police are very concerned with immigrant populations and particularly uh, with immigrant politics of any kind um, and making sure that it doesn't do anything to disrupt French public life. This has been a concern of French police for a long time um, into the early part of the century. So this may be part of what explains the lack of public um, outcry in, for pro-Palestinian politics. That's why I specified the difference between dinnertime conversation and public demonstration. It's hard for me to prove it one way or another. But um, let's say, suffice it to say that workers, immigrant workers were not encouraged to show any kind of politics whatsoever. So, one, so the French police cared much more about what they did than what, say, French Jewish citizens were doing in, in legal demonstrations uh, protesting anything. Having said that, the police never liked anybody demonstrating anything. So <laughs> there's a lot of um, both of um, um, attention to these issues and um, monitoring of them, which is to the historian's great benefit because they spy on minorities. <laughs> the French police spy. They have informants and they, they document in great detail what, what people who look not French are doing. And so they leave a lot of records. And that's very helpful. But it, but it does differ. And that's notable and problematic for the historian also. Right. Yeah. Uh, in 1967 or 1968, you know, I think these words are really, really uh, overused and ahistorical when they're thrown around. Um, I, I will say to the specific question of um, links, the, the French radicals I'm talking about, that's why I wanted to be careful to say they're not cynically using the Palestinian movement. I mean, they're devoted to anti-imperialism and, and often in the same breath. It's pro-Palestine, you know, the, the issues in Vietnam, anti-America, down with capitalism. It's all framed as one ideological position to which they're deeply committed. Um, so in that sense, they're, they're totally linked, and one can't even imagine the Palestinian movement of support without those other issues. Um, I'm very cautious to throw anti-Semitism into that mix, especially in this early period there's a lot of very harsh criticisms of Israeli policies. Uh, again, we're talking here by the extreme left, um, and um, 
most Muslim workers, to the extent I can find, are not participating in this, and they're not voicing these things publicly. I don't know what they're thinking, but they're not saying it. Um, obviously, since 2000, uh, people have ma made other kinds of claims about the role of um, um, anti-Jewish propaganda in the Middle East and how it's disseminated in France over the Internet, which didn't happen <laughs> in the period I'm talking about, um, and which includes what I would call very harsh criticisms of anti-Israeli policy with rather stereotypical images of Jews uh, from gleaned from European, a long history of European anti-Semitism, anti-Americanism, it gets kind of bundled up into one thing. So I do think, and I do think that's a product of now, not endless. Yeah. That's an interesting question. Um, Yes, but not like you have now. I mean, I, I, you would hear about, uh, you, you can hear, again, if you're what you're talking about is the radical French left, you can hear sometimes claims about Jewish interests or American Jewish interests, but you don't, not quite to the extent that we see that more clearly um, emerge in recent materials, yeah. They weren't pro-Palestinian. <laughs> yeah, no. There was right. Let me start with the second question. I'll move to the former. So, um, while the right had the right wasn't pro-Palestinian. I mean, it had it had politics on, in the Middle East, but it was it was it was not pro-Palestinian. What got me interested? I didn't go into this project interested in radical leftists. I got I went in interested in Muslim-Jewish relations on the ground, and this is what I discovered when I was doing this work: was the very very aggressive efforts made by the groups I talked about to forge relationships with Muslim workers. The right did not do that. They had absolutely no interest. They that that was their number one targeted enemy. Um, and so, what interests me, what I'm trying to depict, and this will lead me to answer your second question, is what I think happened, which is that um, very aggressive efforts by the radical left to push a certain politics in immigrant communities over time, at least in part, worked, um, and that a pro-Palestinian. Um, argument starts filtering in to these communities via this path rather than from Algeria proper, um, where it seems to be rejected. I mean, where the in 67, where workers are not rallying behind this at all. Uh, and so that's my direct link is actually in Nanterre, in these communities where you have, you know, Maoists talking to um, politicized 
Muslim workers and saying, this is an issue you should care about, which the right was not doing. And that's, that's, that's the specific link that interests me. To your question about its impact now, so I may be wrong about this, and I have to, I'm still doing research, so you, you've called me early on in the project. I'm trying to make that point. I'm trying to make that this was an issue that wasn't inevitably going to pit Jews against Muslims, and that it's, it's the French, a particular form of French politics that fostered a certain kind of discourse about Palestine. Um, however, what your point leads to is the question of how can you trace that out? It's one thing to say, well, we can look at this from 68 to 70. It's another thing to say in 1991, is that what explains how, say, second-generation French Muslims um, are responding to the Palestinian issue? Is it because in 1968 a Maoist was telling them to, or is it because other things have happened subsequently? And, of course, I would be ridiculously reductionist to say it's only that one piece. I think it's one piece that's been written out, so I want to get it back into the story. Um, and then just more broadly to answer your question about the contemporary implications, in some way, I mean, in some way you sort of get my point. In some way I want to make the case that it doesn't actually have that much to do with the contemporary, that in other words, that the contemporary moment is forged in the contemporary moment and that there isn't some timeless history we can trace back, that it has evolved over time. So that's, that's one piece of it. Um, but the other, thing, the other thing that I would say is that, um, or, or rather, I guess maybe the other way to put it is what I, the way I ended the talk, which is to say if, mo if, it, if it would be fair to say that most second and third generation now French Muslims um, identify around the Palestinian cause, they didn't always. And that that's historically interesting to me. Yeah, go ahead. I agree very much with that, but that's also true about Muslim communities all That's true. That's true. Right. No, that is true. And again, that's part of the complexity of the history. Um, but then I would lead to the next point, which is so one of the other chapters in this book is going to be about the 1980s. And uh, what I'm working on in the 1980s is the very public and very um, widespread collective efforts among Jewish, really 20-year-olds and Muslim 20-year-olds to try and fight racism together, to fight the right. They, they try to come together in very public ways to do so. And even though this pro-Palestinian sentiment is already has already taken on a, a life by the 80s, um, there's a, a real effort to transgress that, move beyond it, work together to try to fight, um, to create links in France to fight what is considered to be a local threat. Uh, against them. Um, and so, again, there are lots of mitigating factors, and my local chapter on Marseille does the same thing, that looks at all of these ways in which, in some ways, even though your point is right, that there's a cross-national, pro-Palestinian um, uh, consciousness that has, um, that has emerged, that it hasn't mattered in all kinds of settings and moments in French political history as well. Um, and it's those kind of complex stories that I'm trying to bring together. I, and I would also say, just to defend the argument a little bit more, I, that I, um, while it is true, and I'm not doing comparative, I'm not looking at Muslims in Britain and the United States and in other places, but that the, um, the way in which um, pro-Palestinian 
agendas have function in French political life is very different than in other places. It's been much more charged. It's carried a lot greater sway on the wider population. It's been harder for Jews because of that. Uh, harder is the wrong word, but I mean, in other words, it, it has played out in a way that's quite distinct, I think. Um, and in part, I think that has to do with this leftist infusion that functions in a way in French public life that doesn't happen here um, or even in Great Britain and some of the other places. We can talk more, but I, I would say that is a particularistic story that has commonalities with other places. That's a good question. I'm not sure I've ever thought about it quite that way, so I'm going to speak off the cuff a little. What I would say is the second and th the reason I said I haven't thought of it that way is the second and third model you mentioned I've seen as roughly similar. That is, so I have to think more about if they're different. That is top down. That you know, not as organic. This is, these are our people, and we're going to support them. But people telling them that you are Palestinian, that this is something you need to be connected to. And you're right, it comes from different sources. But even then, I really downplayed, just that for lack of time, but um, Fatah, PLO, is very active in France in this period, and they're really working very directly with strange bedfellows, with these radical left communities, um, giving them materials. And so there's, there is a real effort from inside, if you will, I don't want to say inside the Arab world, that's too vast, but inside the Palestinian movement to make these connections um, and, and make a more top-down versus bottom-up. That's why I'm, I'm struggling with the three models. I'd like to hear more about it. Um, as far as Jews, I am a little confused about this myself because it seems when you read about the source, the source material I have for them, and uh, when you read anything about them, it seems like a very organic, bottom-up thing. But of course, you also have Zionists mobilizing this. You have organizations which are very um, ingrained already. Uh, they have money, they have resources, they're there in France, and they're establishing the demonstration. People aren't pouring into the streets, right? They're coming to a demonstration that somebody has organized, but people are coming to it, and that's the main difference. Uh, so of course, there is also a top-down on the Jewish side, but I think they're, they, they meet in a way that you don't see, at least in these years, um, on, uh, on the Algerian Muslim side. Um, and that's, I guess, just to very specifically answer your question, what I think you see as one of the key differences of this moment. Um, and I would, uh, and I would say that is, I mean, that is one of the cases I was trying to make that that they are different, um, and um, they differ for uh, reasons I hope I outlined on the Jewish side um, at that moment, um, and might not have 20 years previously. But some factors come together with allow that to be true. But if you're, if you're wedded to your three models, come talk to me at the end, because I'd like to know more about how to think about it. You know, I'm curious about that. I mean, I talked to the graduate students today, and I was saying that one of the great pleasures of sharing work early on is you get feedback that radically changes. So, for example, this used to be one chapter of my book, and I presented this one point, and somebody said something, and I realized, oh, this is two chapters, right? And I, so now I have a different book, and presumably things you say will make it yet a different book. So <laughs> any ideas are welcome. Any other Questions or comments? Yeah. Oh, I had a question about um, the genealogy. 
They're not talking about that. I mean, whether, I'm not saying they know or don't know, but they're definitely not talking about it. They are condemning France all the time. But for its contemporary politics in the Middle East, for the things I said, attacking de Gaulle, for things he's doing, they're not talking about, in the sources I've seen, they're not talking about, um, although many of them are very aware of the FLN struggle, and they, I mean, they, they of course, um, know about it, uh, but that's not, they're not, they're not doing memory work at all in this stage. That's what I would say. That's the way I'd phrase it. It's sort of the thing everybody knows about and nobody's talking about, right? So that's what I would say. Other questions? If not, well, then thank you very much. I've enjoyed um, talking to you. Yes, and let's thank uh, Professor Mandela.